We celebrate you. Welcome to Lofty Heights Christian Center, a ministry that exists to raise kingdom influencers. As a church, we emphasize three things. The Word, the integrity of it and its ability to transform, the Holy Spirit, His power and demonstration of the same, and love, love for God, for yourself, and for others. You are about to experience God's undiluted Word from God's servant, Pastor Wali Tejumade. Get ready for a transformation. So concerning 2 Kings, what you will see, for example, in chapter 2, then began to tell you how Elijah, you know, ascended to heaven, how he was caught up in the air in heaven. Then you see that, you know, um, in the book of 2 Kings, specifically verse number... Um, Verse number two, or let me even start from chapter number two from verse number one. And it came to pass when the Lord was about to take up Elijah into heaven by whirlwind that Elijah went with Elisha from Gilgal. Then Elijah said to Elisha, stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me unto Bethel. But Elisha said, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. Now the sons of the prophet who were at Bethel came out to Elisha and said to him, do you know that the Lord will take away your, your master from you today? And he said, yes and no, keep silent. Then Elijah said to him, Elisha, stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me unto Jericho. But he said, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So they came to Jer Jericho. Verse 5 says, now the sons of the prophet who were at Jericho came to Elisha and said to him, do you know that the Lord will take away your master from you? from over you today. So he answered, yes, I know, keep silent. Six, then Elijah said to him, stay here please for the Lord has sent me unto Jordan. But he said, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So the two, so the two of them went on and 50 men of the sons of the prophet went and stood facing them at a distance while the two of them stood by the Jordan. Now Elijah took his mantle rolled it up and struck the water, and it was divided this way and that, so that the two of them crossed over on dry ground. And so it was when they had crossed over that Elijah said to Elisha, Ask, what may I do for you before I'm taken away from you? Don't forget that Elisha was Elijah's prodigy, all right? He was the son of the prophet Elijah, not biological son, right? Um, prodigy you know and so it was when they had crossed over that Elijah said to Elisha ask what may I do for you before I'm taken away from you Elisha said please let a double portion of your spirit be upon me you know so he said you have asked a hard thing nevertheless if you see me when I'm taken from you it shall be so for you but if not it shall not be so let me just draw a quick lesson you know on the double portion of anointing that Elisha requested for from Elijah now, I need to be emphatic with you all to let you know that the double portion of anointing, you know, that um, Elisha requested for was not double portion in per se. You know, people think that because of all that Elisha, Elijah did, that Elisha was just requesting for capacity to be able to do times two of what Elijah did. No, that was not it. If you read the Bible in that light, you've not caught enough light. Double portion of the anointing that he was requesting for was in those days like a birthright for glory to Jesus. They take like, a, they're, 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 they're like a right, you know, just like I told you about Jesus being seated, you know, at the right hand side of the Father in, in heaven. It's not a position, I mean, a place. 
it is not seated, you know, um, you know, on the right hand side. It simply means that he's in a place of power. So the double portion of anointing that Elisha was requesting for from Elijah was not necessarily double measure of the anointing upon the life of Elijah, but the right of the firstborns. Glory to Jesus. So you'll see that in there. And of course, yes, you saw also in that chapter number two that I read earlier on how these other sons of the prophet, they began to make a mockery, you know, of Elisha saying to him, so we would see what's going to become of you. Today, your father is going to be taken away from you. Hallelujah. If you take a look at chapter number two and you take a look at um, verse number 11, then it happened as they continued as they continued on and talked, that suddenly a chariot of fire appeared with horses of fire and separated the two of them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. So this tells you that Elijah was caught up in the air just the same way Enoch was. So Elijah did not die death like regular people died, you know, and, you know, and buried. He was caught up. In heaven, hallelujah, by a whirlwind. Bible teaches us in the book of Hebrews chapter number 11 concerning um, Enoch. Bible says that because Enoch pleaded, pleased the Lord, that the Lord, you know, caught him up. He says he was not found, you know, because he pleased the Lord. And that was why the writer of the book of Hebrews then says in verse number 6 of Hebrews chapter number 11, that they that must come to the Lord must believe that he exists, you know, and that he is a reward of those who diligently seek him. Hallelujah, glory to Jesus. Verse 12 says, and Elisha saw it and he cried out, my father, my father, the chariot of Israel and its horsemen. So he saw him no more and he took hold of his own clothes and tore them into pieces. He also took up the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him and went back and stood by the bank of the Jordan. Glory to Jesus. Mantles in the scripture is, and you, you see, it's as efficacious as it was in those days, as it is right now. You may not want to believe in it, but I believe heavily in mantle. What is a mantle? Mantle is anything. Most times, it's usually like an apparel, like an handkerchief. For example, anything a man of God puts on, that is sprayed on, or that is transferring. This that I have, everything that I have on me right now, is a mantle. Glory to Jesus. You need to come to the consciousness of a specific understanding in the faith to know that. This is the reason why you would read testimonies of people, you know, who, who went to sit on the specific seat that a particular man of God sits on and they begin to pray on it and they receive the miracle. Glory to Jesus. Thank God Sister Mommy, for example, is in the auditorium this evening. You know, you would, hear, you would have heard about a testimony when she shared that I put on a mantle upon her. What I did was to go and look, to go and get a jacket, one of my winter coat, the very long one. I put it on again. I mean, I'd worn it, I put it on again, and I took it off and I wore it on her. Glory to Jesus. Okay, so, you know, um, for example, even in the New Testament, you'd hear about the story of Peter, how handkerchiefs and aprons were brought unto him, you know, such that they could place them on the sick and they could be healed. If you give me a specific, maybe you give me an handkerchief, you give me a cloth, and I declare on it prophetically, and you believe in that which I've done, and you believe that for truth, I'm called of the Lord. Whatever thing you use it for, you know, will be it. Now, listen to this. I do many of all these things in this church, but many of you don't, you're not fully observant. Did you notice that when I distributed, uh, um, what do you call it, bumper sticker, 
Did you remember the day I was announcing that here? I think it was on snow night, right? I lifted it up onto heaven and I declare, from this moment, anywhere this sticker gets to, fame gets there. Whoever has this is the void. I mean, would never be involved in an accident. Would be this, would be this, would be that. It's a man, it can be a mantle. And by the way, how many of you do not have our bumper sticker here? Brother Tyler, do you have? You have one. Is it on your car already? Beautiful, I trust. Oh, Brother Timmy does not have. So please get, uh, if you do not have, please see Sister Loris. If you're watching online and you do not have a bumper sticker, you can use it on anything, on your laptop or whatever thing that you desire, or your vehicle, preferably. You know, just see um, um, Sister Loris, you know, on, um, on Sunday when you get into church. Verse number 14 then says, Then he took the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him and struck the water and said, Where is the Lord God of Elijah? And when he had... When he also had struck the water, it was divided this way and that. And Elisha crossed over, just the same way Elijah did before. Now, this is what I want you to see. If you quickly backtrack to verse number 5. Quickly backtrack to verse number 5. See, now the sons of the prophet who were at Jericho came to Elisha and said to him, Do you not know that the Lord will take away your master from you? today so he answered yes i know keep silent what they were doing was actually spiting him and teasing him you know how kids you know can be contemporaries can be sometimes today because i mean with all that he's doing and all of those when we see what's going to become of you when your father is taken away from you bible says he told them keep silent god bless you samuel then verse number 15 look at what then happens in verse number 15 he says there now when the sons of the prophet who were from jericho saw him they said the spirit of Elijah rests on Elisha. And they came to meet him and bowed to the ground before him. The same people who mocked him. Less than 10 verses afterward. So you see, many a times as you continue to journey in the Christian walk, people will call you names. They will see all sorts of things concerning you. Many will not believe in you. You must know the God in whom you've believed. And you must keep your head high. If you would do those things, you would see that in no time, those who do not give cognizance to you, they will come to, us to, to, to attest that for truth, the hand of the Lord is upon you. Bible says they came together and said, oh wow. Or for truth, the spirit of Elijah doth rest upon him. Hallelujah, glory to Jesus. And in chapter number 20, of course, yes, we saw Ezekiah's life extended. I noted this chapter number 20 because I just wanted us to just quickly see something there. Chapter number 20. Hallelujah. Second Kings chapter number 20. In chapter number 20 from verse number 1, you saw the story of Ezekiah. You know, in those days, Ezekiah was sick. And near death, and Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, went to him and said to him, Thus says the Lord, set your house in order, for you shall die and not live. But look at what Ezekiah did. Then he turned his face toward the world and prayed to the Lord, saying, Remember now, O Lord, I pray, how I have walked before you in truth and with a loyal heart, and have done what was good in your sight. And Ezekiah wept bitterly. This was Ezekiah, not that God has forgotten, but reminding God, Lord, it's like someone, some of you right now wanting to pray, say, Lord, you remember how I show up for services, how I serve, even when it's not convenient, how I give. Lord, show me your mercy. 
you remember how I held on to the words of your prophet? Then see what then happened. In verse number four, and it happened before Isaiah had gone out into the middle court that the word of the Lord came to him saying, return and tell Ezekiah, the leader of my people. Thus says the Lord, the God of David, your father, I have heard your prayer and I have seen your tears. Surely I will heal you. On the third day, you shall go up to the house of the Lord and I will add to your days 15 years. I will de deliver you and this city from the hand of the king of Assyria and I will defend this city for my own sake and for the sake of my servant David. This is one of the reasons why it's not good for you to always, you know, shut your mouth when things are not going the way you want them to go. Do you have an idea what perhaps would have happened if Ezekiah never raised an objection and never cried out to God? He would have died. Yes, he eventually died, but the Lord, for, I mean, added 15 more years to his life. And I think 15 more years must be something. So, very quickly, let's move on to the next book, the book of First Chronicles. Glory to Jesus. So, just like the book of Samuels, Chronicles, you know, is just the same way, you know, like, um, like you have Samuel, you know, and all of all those books, you know. So, meaning that it was all one lengthy book before it was split into first and second chronicle hallelujah so let's begin with the author just like we do the author of the book of ezra and by the way the author of the book of second kings is unknown just the same way the author of the book of first kings you know is unknown okay the author of the book of first chronicles you know is ezra or was ezra The division, don't forget that we have six specific divisions where we review each of these books. We take a look at the author, the meaning of name, the theme, that is why the book was written. We look at some characters in the book, lessons from the book, and relevance of that book to us believers today. So the book of First Chronicles was written by Ezra. The meaning of the name Chronicles, what does that mean? The word chronicle is simply an English word, which means to chronicle. <laughs> To arrange, to order something, to leave something in order, right? So that it's as simple as that. So what does the book explain? The book actually catalogs, you know, or records of Israel's history from Adam to David. From Adam down to David. So it chronicles everything, Israel's history, Israel's, um, Israel's um, history from Adam down to David. That's why it's called the book of Chronicles. So if you want to know everything that happened, who led what, what did what, you know, from Adam's days, you'll see that. And you see from chapter number one, that from your own Bible, you'll see the family of Adam, Seth to Abraham. Can you see? They went to Cain, the family of Ishmael, the family of Keturah, the family of Isaac, the family of Seir, the family of David, the family of Solomon. So it chronicles all these families and Israel's history, especially with kingships and all. You know, from the time of Adam, the first man that God created, down to the you know, time of David. So that's the meaning of the name. So why was the book written? Let's talk about the theme, you know, for the book of First Chronicles. Like I said earlier on, it records history of kings through two lenses. Mosaic covenant and um, Davidic covenant. Mosaic, you know, the Pentateuch, right? Like I taught you all, the first five books, the books of Moses. So the covenant with those guys and the ones, you know, with David. 
so it chronicles you know and and addresses you know um the happenings between those two different covenants hallelujah glory to jesus from the mosaic covenant down to davidic covenant hallelujah um the mosaic covenant this time around specifically talks about you know how god handed down you know the ten commandments and all of that and of course yes with the davidic covenant the covenant was that even though david messes up or anything happens or any of his generation messes up the lord says he will not take away the rule the king the throne you know from his lineage forever he would have mercy upon them and his mercy is not going to be i mean his anger on them is not going to be you know forever first chronicles you know i told you all before some time ago during ministration that the book of colossians is practically same thing as the book of ephesians you all need to read your bible enough to be able to understand this thing it's like you also reading the book of deuteronomy if you've read the book of exodus and leviticus when you read deuteronomy you will be seeing a repetition of some of the things you had read in exodus and leviticus hallelujah glory to god the same way taking a look at this first chronicles you begin to then see some of the things you had read in genesis in exodus in leviticus in numbers down to second kings so the book of first chronicles if you study it so well it actually has very great similitude with the book of second samuel you'll see a repetition you know of many of the things you've read in second samuel you'll see them in first chronicles i discovered this in the year 2009 and i was actually shocked you know for example let's take let's go a little bit further down you will understand what i'm saying now um david made king over all israel where did you read at first that david was made king the city of david you will see also there in chapter number 10 of the book of first chronicles the end of saul and his sons where did you read those story from first samuel you would see also the growth of david's army you will see the mighty men of david you will see how the ark was brought all these things were first explained, you know, the way they are right now, you know, in, um, in the book of 2 Samuel. He has some of the things in 1 Samuel, but I think it is major, majorly 2 Samuel, you know, that you'd find many of all these things. This is one of the reasons why I often say to you all, you know, to come with your hard copy Bibles, right? So that you can be flipping through and you can be seeing the headers. You'd see that many of those things you had read in Samuel, you find them again in Chronicles. Because Chronicle is what? It's chronicling. You know, they're happening from the days of Adam down to the days of David. Glory to Jesus. So while first Chronicles is like Second Samuel, Second Chronicles is like Second Kings. Second, when you read Second Chronicles, it's going to seem to you as though you're reading Second Kings. When we get to Second Chronicles, you would understand better. So First Chronicles, you know, adds a mixture of both First Samuel and Second Samuel, but I think majorly Second Samuel. You see, these are some of the things you need to know about the Word that makes it very exciting to read. Hallelujah, glory to Jesus. Now, I know that without a doubt, when you are reading your Bibles, you know, and you see Chronicles, you will not be wondering. Is it a um, Greek name or Hebrew or Latin or what? It's simply, and, and the meaning, the reason why it's named such, simply because it chronicles, you know, Israel's journey from Adam down to David. Hallelujah. So very quickly, the book of Second Chronicles, 
And just like I said, concerning First Chronicles, Second Chronicles is like, oh, wow. God's covenant with David, First Chronicles chapter number 7. You see that again in 2 Samuel chapter number 7. See, first, see second, um, first Chronicles chapter number 17. First Chronicles chapter number 17. Let me just quickly show you something to fully, you know, drive home what exactly I'm telling you about. Now, it came to pass when David was dwelling in his house that David said to Nathan the prophet, See, now I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of the covenant of the Lord is on that tent curtains. Then Nathan said to David, do all that is in your heart, for God is with you. Verse number three. But it happened that night that the word of God came to Nathan saying, go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, you shall not build me a house to dwell in. Now let's see, this is First Chronicles chapter number 17 we are reading, right? Now let's see Second Samuel chapter number seven. Second Samuel chapter number seven. Second Samuel chapter number seven. Now it came to pass when the king was dwelling in his house and the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies all around that the king said to Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar where the ark of God dwells inside tent curtains. Verse number three. Then Nathan said to the king, Go do all that is in your heart for the Lord is with you. Verse number four. But it happened that night that the word of the Lord came to Nathan saying, Go and tell my servant David, Thus says the Lord, Would you be a house for me to dwell in? What's the difference between the two? Can you see the word of the Lord is very exciting and interesting to read? To enrich your understanding of the word, you know, and, you know, and at the long run, you know, cause you to grow deeper in the faith is the reason why we are taking, you know, Biblio. Okay, so now you, you all know that. So let's quickly move to 2 Chronicles. Just like 1 Chronicles, you know, 2 Chronicles 2 is a chronicle book, or book of chronicle chronicling all that has happened hallelujah specifically in chapter number 25 there is a lesson i actually want to bring out in second chronicles and we'll move on to the next book in second chronicles chapter number 25 chapter number 25 you see it usually just always humbles me and i want us to just you know see that read that and comprehend it Second Chronicles chapter number 25, verse number 1. Amaziah was 25 years old when he became king. And he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Johadan of Jerusalem. Verse number 2, which is where I'm going. And he did what was right in the sight of the Lord, but not with a loyal heart. Simply put, it is possible for you to be doing the right thing, yet not with a loyal heart. You're showing up in serving to God, in serving in God's house, but yet your heart is not pure. It is what you want to gain out of service that you're particular about. Say, for example, you've been saddled with, um, you know, the responsibility, you know, of um, attending to guest experience, experience, I mean, sorry, guest in church. And, you know, you've been saddled with that responsibility. You give out guest information card and all of those. But your intention is actually how to get members and guests personal data or info, then go at the back of the church, lying in the name of the church and trying to swindle them or trying to, you know, sexually exploit them. It appears to you as though you were serving, but your heart is not loyal. 
So what the Lord rewards is doing the right thing and doing it with a loyal heart. This is the reason why I can beat my chest everywhere. And I can say, which I believe is perhaps one of the reasons why the Lord's hand is upon me. The Lord knows how true my heart is to every soul he has brought my way. Either they belong to lofty height and they do not belong to lofty height. There is no way on earth I would wish any man, any woman evil. Regardless of whatsoever thing you've done for me. In fact, I've learned from experience that even if you offend me, I've learned to keep my mouth shut. Because the Lord, when he fights for me, I perhaps will be the same one saying, Lord, I think he has suffered enough or she has suffered enough. The Lord is concerned with the state of your heart while serving. Not just about you showing up in church. Not doing charismatic ministry. You know charismatic ministry? Carry me ministry. Not carry me or carry me. That's see me. Simeistic ministry. Uh-huh. That's better, right? Simeistic. You know what simeistic is? Let me come to church. Carry the communion table. Do the setup so that pastor will, will say it. If pastor sees you and God does not see you, you've got no reward. Oh, if I don't show up in church now, pastor is, don't come to church because of pastor. I know you all like my face and all of that. Glory to God. I love you guys too. But make sure that you're coming in excited, you know, to worship your maker. To go and say, Lord, I consider it a privilege that I'm saved. That I can go into your temple. Anyways, maybe you guys don't see this auditorium as a temple yet because we're using a hall in a hotel, Right? That's the reason why we need to speed up the process and get our own facility. So when we get a church building, maybe a church building and not even a warehouse, you know, the typical temple of those days with big crucifix at the top. <laughs> Glory to Jesus. Like some of the ones we saw on Sunday, maybe you, you all, you know, would, would, would appreciate things better. The point I'm trying to make is, don't do, don't, don't, don't be a semi-istic volunteer. Don't be a semi-istic worker in God's house. Bible says everyone who serves and does whatsoever thing, let them do it as unto the Lord and not unto man. It says, and the God who sees in secrets, he will reward in the open. Could, that be the, the, could it be that because of the semi-istic approach, you know that many people who are approaching God's work, could that be the reason why many do not have enough um, result to show for their labels in God's house? Because if your approach is a see-me-serving approach, you already got your reward. Your reward is for you to be seen by people. And they've seen you. The reward is there. You would have seen during last week when I you know, took you for Samuel, for example. Bible says when Samuel went to the house of um, Jesse, Jesse began to bring out all his children. Up to the first six of them or so. And it was because he was looking at them, FT, the one who has... You know, who is matured enough to want to seem like, um, what do you call it? You know, like a king. And the Lord said to Samuel, no, this one, I've rejected him. You are looking at the outside. I'm looking at the inside. I'm interested in the state of the heart of man, not the outward appearance or the outward physique. Amen. And by the way, let me put a caveat. Don't say that, after all, God only looks at the inside and not at the outside. They look so horrible and shabby on the outside. No, no, please don't try that. 
you're coming into God's house, look your best. You want to serve, look your best. Let somebody see you the way you look. I want to know your God. Hallelujah. Glory to Jesus. Celebrate Jesus. So I think on that note, I'm going to go straight to the book of Ezra. Or does anyone here or anyone watching online have any questions, you know, on 1st Kings, 2nd Kings, Samuel, and any of all those um, other books? Anybody? Glory to Jesus. No question, right? Okay, so let's move on then. Let's take a look at the book of Ezra very quickly. Now, the book of Ezra and the book that follows that, that's the book of Nehemiah. Some Bible scholars are of the opinion that they were both actually one book. And truly, if you read or if you've ever read the book of Ezra and you've read the book of Nehemiah, you will actually see that the storyline in Ezra, in Nehemiah, was a continuation of the storyline in the book of Ezra. So they actually followed, you know, in that same particular order. Amen. Glory to Jesus. I should say, though, that in 2 Kings, and as you would have seen also in the book of 2 Chronicles, eventually, Israel, the Israelites made a mess of God's covenant over their lives. You saw how Solomon went after foreign gods. After Solomon, you know, died, one of his sons took over. It was at that point, you know, at, um, I can't remember which of the kings, you know, that was reigning then, you know, that the whole of Israel, that Judah and Jerusalem, you know, were sold in exile to Babylon. So that means that and these guys were in captivity for over 70 years. In captivity for over 70 years. Held down by Babylon. So they had like a reenactment of what happened to them in Egypt. Of course, yes, in Babylon, they became like a um, second fiddle. These are people that God described as his own precious chosen people. Captured, you know, by the Babylonians. And they were in Babylon for over 70 years as captives. You know why that could happen to them, anybody? Why did that happen to them? Anyone? Where's the microphone? Can you please pass the microphone around? Amen. Glory to Jesus. Sister Karen, you look like you want to say something. Do you? She was praying I would not call her. You don't know me. <laughs> they didn't, they've not told you much about me yet. <laughs> That's why. <laughs> Do you want to try? Yes. Give her the microphone. Why, why do you think the Israelites were able to be captured, you know, by the Babylonians and, you know, moved to Babylon? Um, because they let go of the ways that God wanted them to follow. Exactly. They let go of the ways that the Lord wanted them to follow. Celebrate her. Glory to God. They abandoned God. See, this is a very major lesson, you know, for those of us who are believers. Either Old Testament or New Testament, whatever one you believe in. There would always be repercussions if you let go of the way of the Lord. It's as simple as that. There would always be repercussions if you let go of the ways of the Lord.
So the way, how many of you have heard, I don't know, you know, I, well, some of you are a bit older, so you may know. By the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down. Brother Samuel does not know that song. I bet he would. God bless you, sir. When we remember Zion for the day that carried us away in TVT required of us a song how shall we sing the Lord's song Chubby is just looking at me it's so they were captured by the Babylonians yet you wanted them to begin to sing the Lord's song in a strange land you see as we progress I mean, you, some of you would have heard, read the story of Daniel before this captivity era or whatever thing, you know, after first kings, after second kings, they all messed up. They went out of God's way. So they went back to that same level that they were before, where they were kingless. Then chronicles, chronicle everything that they happened. From the book of Ezra, actually from the book of Ezra, then you then begin to read what then happened after they had been captured by the Babylonians. As a matter of fact, it was not just Babylon. When they were captured by Babylon and Babylon eventually was destroyed, you know what then happened? They took over the Persians, took over the Israelites. Then you begin to read about the story of King Artaxerxes. Hallelujah, glory to Jesus. People chosen of the Lord are huh? beloved of the Lord. This is the same way or this is the same thing that happens to so many people who are so-called believers. You know, walking in a path, you know, that God does not require them to walk in. Yes, I teach grace. But I always temper my teachings on grace. Grace that you enjoy in Christ Jesus. That yes, truly, no more condemnation after you. According to Romans chapter number 8 verse 1. It's not a license to continue to frolic in sin. Apostle Paul, the same one, huh? Brother Tyler, who explained to the whole world through the scripture what grace is all about, explains in Romans chapter number 6 from verse number 1. He says, how shall we who were dead to sin continue to live in sin? How shall we continue in sin and pray that grace should abound? He says, God forbid. So if you hear anybody teach you um, God has forgiven you of the sins you've committed in the past, the ones you've committed right now, and the ones you'll commit in the future, yes, that is true. All those sins are already paid for. But God redeemed you, transformed you from being a goat to a sheep. Why do you want to continue being a goat? This is the reason why I would always say to you, like I've always shared. You see, there is no New Testament believer who would say that the devil tempted me to sin? No. For a New Testament believer, sin is a choice. If I go ahead and sleep with someone else, for example, who is not my wife, I chose to. I can't blame the devil because he doesn't have any power over me. You hear what I'm saying now? He doesn't have control over my mind anymore. He cannot be the one teaching me and telling me and guiding me what to do. No, I know better. So it's your choice. You cannot say, I lied. I did not want to lie, but I lied. No, you chose to lie. 
Because you, as a New Testament believer, who has the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit, even at the point of opening your mouth to begin to lie, the Holy Spirit in you begins to convict you. Why are you lying? Why not say the truth? Why do you want to do that? Why do you want to go there? This is not according to my plan. He will continue to convict you. So one of the things you would see in the life of a New Testament believer, genuine New Testament believer is, sin becomes foreign. It becomes foreign. It begins to disgust you. You begin to just think, oh no, what how can I do this? Like Joseph says, you know, and sin against my God. You are addicted to something, maybe to drug, to whatever addiction you're suffering from, and you say you've accepted the Lordship of Jesus, you have the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. No, you cannot tell me that at the point of wanting to do that thing, there is no conscience, I mean, your conscience is not pricking you, that the Holy Spirit is not convicting you. If that is not happening to you, your salvation is questionable. Yes, you may fall. You may fall truly. You may eventually do it. But you just must know that you should not blame the devil. You get what I'm saying? Even when you fall, don't blame the devil. You know why? Because the more you blame him, the more empowered he becomes. So blaming him tells him that he actually has control over you. And that dude doesn't have control over you. The same Paul says, now, you are seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. According to the first chapter of the book of Ephesians from verse number 17. It says, far above principalities and powers. Far above every name that is named. Not only in this age, but even in ages to come. So don't, don't give him. Don't, don't give him. Last week I was teaching you all on Sunday, you know, about taking responsibility for your life, right? You want to break free from the devil. Hold your, own your decisions. You, do you want to break free from the devil? You are tired of that addictive life. You want to break free? Own your responsibility. Own your actions. Don't give it to him. Devil, I messed up. You don't have to tell me, I know I messed up. And I know how to make my words better. First John from chapter number 2. First John from chapter number 2. John in that scripture says to us, he says that he was writing these things so that you will not sin. I don't know why I'm going this route tonight. Glory to God. Oh, somebody's getting blessed. John, in that letter, says, I'm writing these things to you so that you will not sin. He says, but even when you sin, he says, you must know this. That we have an advocate in the Father. I'm going to get that for you right now. Glory to Jesus. Oh, can you please celebrate Brother Samuel and Brother Oken? First John chapter number two. So I was actually right. It says, My little children, these things, I want to stop at um, we can stop at verse number six. It says, My little children. These things are right to you so that you may not sin. I love this scripture so very much because I hate, I hate, I detest condemnations of the devil. How the devil guilt trip some of you who are believers. See, he, there is no, there is no, he cannot. 
you are falling, get up. He says, my little children, these things I write to you. He says, so that you may not sin. And if, not when. Huh? So there is no expectation for you to sin. But let's assume that eventually you fell. You did what you should not do. He says, and if anyone sins, we have an advocate. See that A in caps. That's Jesus. He says, we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins. And not for us, for us only, but also for the whole world. Now by this we know that we know him if we keep his commandment. Can you see that? In case you've never seen that before. So when you fall, get up. You have an advocate in the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous God. This is the reason why the Bible could record that when the righteous fall seven times, he will undoubtedly rise again. Champions don't remain on the floor forever. The Lord already made you a champion. So don't allow the devil to celebrate Jesus. Don't allow the devil to keep you bound and begin to then trample under you. If you are falling, you are under the sound of my voice. You are falling, you've done what you shouldn't do. Get up! Get up! Cleanse yourself. Jesus, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. By your blood, I obtain mercy. I'm sorry I've done this against you. Lord Jesus, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. Forgive me. Bible says if you confess your sins, it's faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you from all form of unrighteousness. So you give the Lord thanks. Bible says you should come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy to help in times of need. The time you fall is a time of need for you. Don't let the devil keep you bound. I'm saying these things because, Sister Mommy, I've seen people stop coming to church because they feel that they're not worthy of the Lord's presence. If you tell me you're not worthy of the Lord's presence, or any preacher tells you that you've done something horrible, you're no longer worthy of the Lord's presence, then Jesus died in vain. Then Jesus died in vain. I've seen people stop serving simply because they fell. Get up. See, this month, by God's grace, I've been doing further, you know, strategy sessions in the past, since yesterday, actually. We're going to be institutionalizing our cell system, the connect groups. Five, seven people in a team. Please, don't joke with it. Everyone who belongs to this ministry, either e-church members or in-person members, you know, we belong, we'll be given a family. That's the advantage of belonging to those families. But they can check up more on you. You can share with them. You can rub minds together. If anyone sees anyone fall, you help him to get up. Bible says two are better than one. It says because they have a better reward for the labor. It says if one falls, another will pick him up. It says but woe unto him who is alone when he falls. There will be no one to pick him up. It says if one is caught, another will keep him warm. Are you all getting blessed now? Celebrate Jesus. I enjoy teaching on grace and your new identities in Christ Jesus. Huh? But you see, you must know, if you've accepted the Lordship of Jesus, you're a New Testament believer indeed. Sin is foreign. Sin is foreign. It's a choice. And you have power over it. Celebrate Jesus. So now back to the book of Ezra. Hallelujah. I just delivered the sermon to you guys right now. So back to Biblio. Amen. Hallelujah. I hope everyone is getting blessed. And our online church members too. Celebrate Jesus online church. I can see you are not clapping your hands. Clap your hands. I'm just joking. 
Hallelujah. So let's go into the book of Ezra. Before somebody will say, hey, pastor may be seeing me indeed. You know, there are people I call in this church who say, I think, I can't remember, maybe it was Adi who said it. That when pastor calls and he says, eh, what am I doing right now? Am I doing the right thing or the wrong thing? Amen. So let's see the book of Ezra. Ezra was written, the book of Ezra was written by the man called Ezra himself. Ezra was a scribe. A scribe is a priest. In other words, Ezra is of the Levite lineage. That's of Aaron's lineage. So that means that based on what you already know, you know about lineages and all of all those things, you then know that he's of the lineage of Aaron. So he must be a descendant of Aaron. Glory to Jesus. Aaron, you know, glory to God. Because Aaron was the one, you know, appointed by the Lord, you know, to be the priest over the people. So meaning of name Ezra, like I said, the book is just simply named after the person who wrote it. So when you go through the entirety of the book of Ezra, what you will be seeing there was what happened, you know, what um, Ezra's effort in, in rebuilding the temple. You know, those guys, they spent over 70 years in Babylon. In Babylon and in Persia, they spent over 70 years. So by the time they were returning, by the time Babylon crashed and the Persia king Artaxis, you know, Artaxaxis, you know, released them to go back to their land, the land was already in ruins. Imagine for a second that the entire city of Regina, you know, is abandoned for 70 years. Bible says that by the time they came back, every, the temple, the same temple that um, Solomon, you know, built. The temples, the walls of Jerusalem, everything was in ruins. So Ezra, you know, was used by the Lord. That's the theme of the book right now. Ezra was used by the Lord to remind the Israelite after their return or their sojourn in Babylon, you know, of God's promises and of God's laws because they had forgotten. Glory to Jesus. They had forgotten. So Ezra was the one who did that. When you go through, okay, I have here, I say that, I say that an account of the rebuilding of the ruins of the temple after Israelites were captured to Babylon and returned home. The project was done by Ezra and Nehemiah. Ezra helped supervise the construction. So that's the reason why I could say that the following book after the book of Ezra, which is the book of Nehemiah, you know, is actually a continuation of the book of Ezra. That is, the book of Nehemiah is a continuation of the book, you know, of Ezra. So while Ezra, you know, was helping the Israelite, you know, to reenact the Lord's laws, to remind them of what the law says, because he's a scribe, right? A priest of the lineage of Aaron, you know. So he was doing that to, to remind them of the laws, the way things should be done. He focused on the rebuilding of the temple, while Nehemiah, whose book, whose account you're going to read next, you know, focused on rebuilding of the walls of Jerusalem, which was already in ruins. Hallelujah. So some of the characters in there, Ezra, Nehemiah, Zerubbabel. If you read Ezra chapter number 9, Ezra chapter number 9, verses 5 to 15. Ezra chapter number 9, 5 to 15. Oh, the Lord says, I should say again, that first John chapter number two that I read to you all, 
He says, I should repeat it. He says, now I write these things to you so that you may not sin. But if any one of you sins, he should remember or she should remember that we have an advocate in the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous God. That message is for someone connected to this service. Shalom. So when you see Ezra chapter number 9, so when the devil keeps you bound, don't say you don't know what to do. You know what to do. What to do is to run to the Father. Ezra chapter number 9, 5 to 15, you know, you begin to see all the, um, some of the things that Ezra did. Verse 5 says, At the evening sacrifice, I arose from my fasting, and having torn my garment and my robe, I fell on my knees and spread out my hands to the Lord my God, and I said, Oh my God, I am too ashamed and humiliated to lift up my face to you, my God, for iniquities have risen higher than our head and our guilt has grown up to the heavens since the day of our fathers to this day we have been very guilty and for our iniquities we our kings and our priests have been delivered into the hand of the kings of the land to the sword to captivity to plunder and to humiliation as it is this the verse 8 and now for a little while grace has been shown from the lord our god to leave us a remnant to escape and to give us a peg in his holy place that our god may enlighten our eyes and give us a measure of revival in our bondage verse 9 says for we were slaves yet our God did not forsake us in our bondage, but he extended mercy to us in the sight of the kings of Persia to revive us, to repair the house of our God, to rebuild the thrones, and to give us a wall in Judah and Jerusalem. Verse 10 says, And now, O our God, what shall we say after this? For we have forsaken your commandment, just like Sister Karen said that that was why they were held captive by the Babylonians. And now, oh our God, what shall we say after this? For we have forsaken your commandment, which you commanded by your servants, the prophets, saying, The land which you are entering to possess is an unclean land, with the uncleanness of the peoples of the land, with the abominations, and which have filled it from one end to another with their impurity. Now, therefore, do not give your daughters as wives for their sons, nor take their daughters to your sons, and never seek the peace or prosperity that you may be strong and eat the good of the land and leave it as an inheritance to your children forever verse number 13 and after all that has come upon us for our evil deeds and for our great guilt since you our god have punished us less than our iniquities deserve it doesn't matter what you do the lord will never equate your discipline to your punishment This God is a merciful God. He says, since you are God, have punished us less than our iniquities deserve, and have given us such deliverance as this, should we again break your commandment and join in marriage with the people committing these abominations? Would you not be angry with us until you had consumed us, so that there will be no remnant of survival? 15, the last verse. O Lord God of Israel, you are righteous, for we are left as a remnant as it is this day. Here we are before you in our guilt, though no one can stand before you because of this. So Ezra, being a priest, had to remind them of all that the Lord did and they need to return back to God. 
I mean, they spent 70 years in Babylon, like I said. So that simply means that several generations were born and died in that same place. So they were just marrying, you know, all the kind of people that Solomon too was marrying. They were just marrying from Israel's enemies, those that God had warned them not to marry. In other words, their offsprings are children, you know, of those places that God had commanded them not to marry from. Glory to Jesus. But the Lord could not destroy them entirely. You know why? You know why? Anybody? Why couldn't the Lord destroy them entirely? Who has the microphone? If I ask questions, you and your wife should not answer. Okay? Because of the Davidic covenant. Because of his covenant to David. Don't forget that in the book of Numbers, he destroyed everyone less than 20 years old. I mean, above 20 years old, rather. He killed all of them. That generation was wiped off. But David who entered into a covenant with the Lord. And the Lord made a covenant with him. I will not be angry with your seed forever. We all are also seeds of Ab uh, David. As much as seeds of Abraham. Because David was a seed of Abraham. The Lord's mercy does not last. I mean the Lord's wrath. His anger does not last forever. But his mercy lasts forever. Did you hear me? The Lord's wrath and anger does not last forever but his mercy lasts forever glory to jesus so um the lesson from the book of ezra would be that god can restore anything it doesn't matter how far gone you think you have you've been if you are willing you know from all that i've just read to you what ezra did you know was to acknowledge to god all that he has done all that he did in the past. Lord, I remember. Our forefathers, you were with them. But we, we were headstrong. We did evil in your sight. But please have mercy. Please have mercy. Please have mercy. And if you can come boldly to the Lord's throne in that manner. Not arrogantly. Okay? Hebrews chapter number 4. Hebrews chapter, I think so. You know, not arrogantly. That you should come boldly to the Lord's throne to obtain mercy does not mean you come pompous. Bible says a broken and a contrite heart. The psalmist says, "This, O God, you will not despise." So for your, for you to be a, to be merciful upon, for the Lord to show you His mercy fully, you must be broken. What does it mean to be broken? Recognize and realize indeed that you're in a mess, that you've gone out of His will, and say, "Lord, save me." Lord, save me. It doesn't matter how much you keep falling or how many times you keep falling. As you are falling, keep rising. Then look for a Bible-believing church where the word of the Lord is taught. Where you can always hear words like you're hearing right now. And you can always be reminded, no, I'm stronger than the devil. He's got no power over me. He's got no control over me. I'm falling, I'm rising. Glory to Jesus. So let's see the next book after the book of Ezra. Which is apparently the book of Nehemiah. And like I'd mentioned earlier on, both Ezra and Nehemiah, they, they, they are like continuation of one another. Can you see one of the reasons why I always say that to understand, you know, the order of the books of the Bible is very easy. For example, from Ruth to Judges, 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, then they began to have kings, right? By 2 Kings, all of them, they messed up. Huh? They were captured to Babylon, right? 
Then Chronicles chronicled everything that happened. After chronicling came, then they now began to look forward to rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem and the temple by Ezra and Nehemiah. Glory to God. When we get to the book of Esther, you will see some of all these things too better. Because even though they were released, some of them didn't go back to Israel. Some of them stayed back, e.g. Nehemiah. Nehemiah was king at Axaxi's cupbearer. A cupbearer is the person who pours wine into the king's cup. Stands by the king when the king... Reality in those days must have been very solid. <laughs> Glory to Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Glory to God. So let's see the book of Nehemiah very quickly. Now the book of Nehemiah. Author was Nehemiah himself. Nehemiah wrote the book of Nehemiah. Meaning of name, number two. The meaning of the name Nehemiah. I mean, meaning of the, why the book was named Nehemiah. Nehemiah was a leader who rose up. You know. And chose to fight for his people and for their ruined estates. So the book of Nehemiah actually, you know, chronicles or explains Nehemiah's effort in rebuilding, you know, the walls of Jerusalem, you know, and the temple. That's why it's called Nehemiah. Nehemiah himself wrote that book. And if you study it, you see both Ezra and Nehemiah, they are very small books. You can finish them tonight if you read them. I want to charge some of you to please do that. Just go through. See, it's, 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 it's an amazing book if you want to understand the leadership. If you really want to understand how to take on leadership, go study the book of Nehemiah and Ezra. Hallelujah, glory to Jesus. It will really, really, really help you. Let me read from Nehemiah chapter number one. I want you to see what Nehemiah did. Don't forget, though, that before I even go into this, Nehemiah was not a priest. Nehemiah did not belong to any um, lineage of the priest. Nehemiah was just a regular guy. The only title he held was that he was a cupbearer to King Artaxerxes of Persia. That was all. Now see, so when some of them had left Babylon to return back to their failed country, you know, he didn't because he was serving the king of Persia at Texas. See, chapter number one from verse number one. The words of the Lord, I mean, the words of Nehemiah, the son of Achaliah, it came to pass in the month of Chislev in the 20th year. As I was in Shushan, the citadel, that Hanani, one of my brethren, came with men from Judah. Hanani was actually his brother, okay? Hanani, one of my brethren, came with men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped. Because they escaped Persia and Babylon, you know, to run to back to their country, right? Ask them about the Jews who had escaped, who had survived the captivity and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the survivors who are left from the captivity in the province are there in great distress and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem is also broken down and its gates are burned with fire. Verse number four. So it was when I heard this word that when I so it was when I heard this word that I sat down and wept and mourned for many days. 
I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven because somebody brought a report of what Jerusalem now looked like, his beloved country, his beloved nation. And I said, I pray, Lord God of heaven, O great and awesome God, you who keep your covenant and mercy with those who love you and observe your commandment, please let your ear be attentive and your eyes open, that you may hear the prayer of your servant, which I pray before you now, day and night, for the children of Israel, your servant, and confess the sins of the children of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Both my father's house and I have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you, and have not kept the commandment, the statute, the, nor the ordinances, which you commanded your servant Moses. Remember, I pray, the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and keep my commandment and do them, though some of you were cast out of the farthest part of the heavens, yet I will gather them from there and bring them to the place which I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. Verse 10 says, Now these are your servants and your people, whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. O oh Lord, I pray, please let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servant prosper this day. I pray and grant him mercy in the sight of this man, for I was the king's cup bearer. You know, Nehemiah, let me rise up. Glory to Jesus. Amen. Can I rise? You know, Nehemiah, as you saw in the scripture, you know, he could have chosen to say, after all, I had escaped. I mean, you all have gone back to um, Israel, right? I'm serving as a cup bearer. Cup bearers in those days, you know, has the ears of the king. So in other words, it was comfortable. He could have said, no, there was no need for me, you know, to go join you. You guys are already there. Whatever nonsense you meet, that's your problem. But Nehemiah did not do that. Bible says he arose, went into prayers and fasting with the Lord. And he began to speak to the Lord and began to remind the Lord, you know, some of the things that he learned you know, that the Lord had said, you know, to the children of Israel, to their forefathers, and began to bring those things forth. That was very similar to what happened, you know, in Moses' life. Moses was already a king's son. Right? Right? But he chose to suffer affliction with the children of Israel. Here's the lesson. You don't grow up to say, when you see your people not living the way they should live, or things not going on well in their lives, to then begin to act as though, oh no, it's none of your business. It's always your business. If one person falls, everybody falls. If everyone rises, if one person rises, everyone rises. If you go further down in that scripture, you then begin to see, you know, many other things that then happened. For example, in chapter number two, in chapter number two, where's brother Samuel? Glory to Jesus. Is everything okay? In chapter number two, for example, you then begin to see some things, you know, that he said. For example, from verse number one. And it came to pass in the month of Nisan. In the Let me even leave that. Let me just go very quickly to um, verse, from verse number seven. Nehemiah chapter number two from verse number seven. See what Nehemiah did in fighting for his people. 
he rose up, went to the king, Artaxerxes, who was his own boss, and said to the king, from verse number 7, he says, Furthermore, I said to the king, if it pleases the king, let letters be given to me for the governor of the region beyond the river, that they must permit me to pass through till I come to Judah. And a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he must give me timber to make beams for the gate of the citadel which pertains to the temple, for the city wall, and for their house that I will occupy. And the king granted them to me according to the good hand of my God upon me. If you watch very well, he just didn't wake up to just go meet the king. He had prayed, waited upon the Lord, sought the Lord's face. Same thing Esther did. Same thing Esther did. Esther just didn't show up, you know, in the king's palace. She fasted, she waited. She trusted in the Lord. He says that, and the king granted them to me according to the good hand of my God upon me. Verse number nine. Then I went to the governors in the region beyond the river and gave them the king's letters. Now the king had sent captains of the army and horsemen with me. When Sambalat, the um, Horonite, and Tobiah, the Ammonite official, heard of it, they were deeply disturbed that a man had come to seek the well-being of the children of Israel. You know what then happened? Verse number 11. So I came to Jerusalem and was there three days. Then I arose in the night. I and a few men with me. I told no one what my God had put in my heart. So you know what they then began to do? Began to then rally people. Began to then bring people together. Pack people up together. Coach them. Lead them. Encourage them. This is the land of our forefathers that the God of Israel gave to them. We must not open our eyes and see it in root. You know why? Because the children of Israel, they had become mock, mockery, you know, to all the nations of the world. But someone had to rise up. Nehemiah rose up. The Lord is looking for Nehemiahs in this age. Those who would rise up to say, yes, the house of the Lord must not be left in ruins. The Lord is looking for Nehemiahs in these days. Those who will be bold enough to confront, to go into the king's chambers. You know, and seek and plead on behalf of the children of Israel, on behalf of the people. You know, Israel never lacked. Their problem was never people. No, they've always had the workforce. What they've always lacked is the leader. So somebody had to rise up to then go lead them. And that happened to be Nehemiah. So while Nehemiah focused, you know, on rebuilding of the walls of Jerusalem, like I said earlier on, um, um, Ezra focused on rebuilding of the temple. Both of them working very assiduously. Should I shock you? Bible teaches, you know, it took them only 52 days to rebuild those rooms. 52 days. 52 days. If you go through the scripture, you will see their lists. You will see those, I mean, apparently, they must have suffered, right? Their eyes have seen in Babylon. And they know, this is a temple where we worship the Lord. Now, our fence, our walls are already broken. Nothing is happening. If you go further down, you will see. And again, you will see the story of Sambalat and Tobiah. Those who wanted to discourage them. Listen to this very carefully. I did say that this book, one of the reasons why I love it, is because it's one of the most solid, you know, um, books of the Bible that teaches about leadership. Whenever a leader arises to rebuild, there would always be a Sambalat and a Tobiah. Did you hear me? Sambalat and Tobiah, they are de de detractors. 
There are those who will never believe in you. Whenever you stand up to challenge the status quo or do something great, you'd always confront a Sambalat and a I had tons of them when this ministry was to start. But you must maintain your focus. They didn't send you, God sent you. He got so serious, if you read further down, you will see that um, 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 the, after they saw, because Tobiah and Sambalat, you know, they kept saying, no, it could, they couldn't do that. They are already in the, in the ruins. No, nothing good can ever come out of them and all of those. But these guys, they kept working day and night, rebuilding the city. Then when Sambalat and Tobiah saw that for truth, the walls are up. The temples are up. You know what they then did? Then they then sent people to, to, to Nehemiah to come because they wanted to murder him. If you read further down, you'll see that. If chapter number six, chapter number six, you know, from verse number, let me quickly read from verse number one. Chapter number six from verse number one of the book of Nehemiah. Now it happened when Sambalat, Tobiah, you know, Geshem, the Arab, and the rest of our enemies heard that I had rebuilt the wall and that there were no bricks left in it because they didn't believe that there was no bricks le left in it. Though at that time I had not hung the doors in the gate, that Sambalat and Geshem sent to me saying, Come, let us meet together among the villages in the plain of honor. But they thought to do me harm. They wanted to cut him off because he was rebuilding. The walls of Jerusalem. Whenever you choose to do anything great, challenge the status quo, arise for your people, expect Sambalat and Tobias and Geshem. They would always be there. He said, verse number three says, So I sent messengers to them saying, I am doing a great work so that I cannot come down. Why should the work cease while I leave it and go down to you? But they sent me this message four times. And I answered them in the same manner. Then Sambalat sent one story letter to him like that. And of course, yes, when you take a look at chapter number 7, you'll see the list of those who joined in rebuking, in rebuilding, you know, the walls of Jerusalem. In chapter number 8, you'll see how Ezra read the law again. Chapter number 8. Now all people, all the people gathered together as one man in the open square that was in front of the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly of men and women and all who could hear with understanding on the first day of the seventh month. Then he read from it in the open square that was in front of the water gate from morning until midday before the men and women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. Glory to Jesus. So they had wondered. They had left the righteous path. They had left the good path. They were captured by the Babylonians and the Persians. They went back. So many of all these things had to be restored to them. And of course, yes, you'll see in chapter number 9 how the people all together confessed their sins again after Ezra, you know, read the laws. Then you see how um, uh, uh, um, in chapter number 9, Nehemiah began to, um, you know, describe, you know, all the things, you know, that the Lord did for them. For example, in chapter number 9 of verse number 21, chapter number 1 of verse number 21, it says, 40 years you sustained them in the wilderness. That was their fathers. 
For 40 years he sustained them in the wilderness. They lacked nothing. Their clothes did not wear out and their feet did not swell. How can you walk 40 years in a forest yet no swell, swollen feet? In verse number 31, for example, in verse number 31, for example, it says, Nevertheless, in your great mercy, you did not utterly consume them, nor forsake them. For you are God, gracious and merciful. Verse 36, Here we are, servants today, and the land that you gave to our fathers to eat its fruit and its bounty. Here we are, servants in it. Glory to Jesus. So when you go through all, you will see several other things, you know, that they did and that happened, you know, in the lives of these people. Rise up on your feet tonight. Receive I I am I am your worship, Jesus. The Lord is consistently looking for Nehemiahs. The Lord is consistently looking for Nehemiahs. Nehemiah's case, for example, is the reason why you shouldn't come to the house of the Lord and you see something's not right and you act as though it's none of your business. Don't forget the, the um, um, what was the name of the, um, 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 the guy who did something that was right, you know, but with um, um, a heart that was not true unto the Lord. The Lord desires people who will be responsible for his business. The Lord looks for people who will be responsible for his business. Especially for us as a ministry right now, you know, with the desire to go, you know, buy a facility of us, the Lord needs you. I'm not talking just about money. The Lord needs your labor. I shared it in this church repeatedly how when I was a baby and a you know, national temple of, the, of my family church was being constructed, my parents would send us to church with us, all of us together on Saturday mornings to go work in the Lord's house, carrying blocks, carrying planks, picking stuff, clearing the place, the temple of the Lord. The Lord still desires such today. Nehemiah, those who would arise to rebuild the ruins. Rebuild the rings. Rebuild the roots. The earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof. Those who would arise, the Nehemiahs would arise and rebuild the walls of, of, of the city of Regina. The Lord is looking for, can the Lord count on you? Or would you say, no, I'm comfortable where I am. So whatever thing going on with them is none of my business. 
I need you to just quickly make a prayer and say, Father, use me for your kingdom. Lord, use me for your kingdom. Use me for your kingdom. Father, use me for your kingdom. Use me for your kingdom, Lord Jesus. Use me for your kingdom. Use me for your kingdom. This is my desire. Use me for your kingdom to rebuild the roots. Use me, oh God, like you did Nehemiah. Use me, Lord Jesus. Concerning the facility that this church is trusting you for, Lord, use me. When it is time to put in the labor, let me be able to arise like one of the Nehemiahs. In the mighty name of Jesus. Thank you, Abba Father. In the name of Jesus. At Lofty Height, you don't like bringing our services to a close without giving someone an opportunity to have a relationship with the Lord. So you're under the sound of my voice. You've not accepted the Lordship of Jesus. I'd like you to please close your eyes, bow your head, and say this after me. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word that has gone forth to me. I repent of my sins. I declare you my Lord and my Savior. Please save me. Rescue me, Lord Jesus. Make me yours forever. I confess you as my Lord and my Savior from this day on and even forever. In Jesus' name. If you've just said that prayer, I want to congratulate you, celebrate Jesus. We trust God that this ministration blessed your life tremendously. Do share your testimony and experience with us by emailing us at hello at myloftyheightsglobal.org. For more life-transforming messages from our ministry, please visit and subscribe to our YouTube channel. You can also stay connected with us across our social media platforms at My Lofty Heights. To give to our ministry, please visit our website. We love you, we honor you, and we celebrate you.